matrix is all about control. It's a system that pulls the wool over human beings' eyes to keep them from the truth. Welcome to the Soma Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Paul. Now that we've deconstructed our evangelical beliefs, we're trying to find a way forward to hold on to Christian faith and community in a post-Christian culture. We're continuing our conversation about the crucifixion. This is kind of a part two. It's been a while since we talked about it, so we can get the cobwebs out of our brains here, Mark. I think we'll yeah, hopefully roll right back into it. Uh, I guess crucifixion is such an odd and unused word in our culture. So I guess we're talking about what happened at the cross and does it really make a difference? What kind of difference does it make? Because I think a lot of people would say it's more of a symbolic difference, but does it have any reality in, in everyday life? What does that look like? Yeah, that's definitely a good question. I have a lot of questions, Mark, and I don't know if we're going to be able to answer them, but we're going to just go on this ride together. It seems to me that the cross is hard to understand. It's hard to comprehend. It seems to me that that's kind of by design. Uh, I know that even the um, one of the New Testament writers said that the, the Jews look for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So even in the early days, in the early church, they did struggle. People struggled with understanding, like, this doesn't make much sense, like Jesus dying or a God coming to die. And even the early, like even the followers of Jesus didn't get this. I think I, in a previous episode, I talked a bit about how after he was crucified, those few days before he he was raised from the dead, his own followers were like totally scattered, totally discouraged. And they, they had said, we thought he was the one. And they obviously had now lost hope. Um, and, and then even there was one time where Peter, I love Peter because he actually has every possible emotional reaction to the cross, like in his story. And one of them was when uh, this was Jesus saying to his disciples, like, you know, who do people say that I am? And, and they give him a bunch of theories of what people are saying. And then he says to them, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, man, this is like, this is this revelation has come from God. Like this didn't come from people. And he, and he really encourages them. That's, that's great. And then Jesus goes on to say, uh, you know, the son of man is going to be arrested, killed three days later he's gonna rise and and then in the next breath peter's like no no far that can't happen you know and he rebuked jesus and he said no you know you're not the messiah isn't supposed to die and, and then jesus said to him like without skipping a beat he says get behind me satan you don't think the thoughts of god you think the thoughts of men and like there was something just sort of this visceral reaction jesus had to what peter said but peter's he's it's honest like he he's like what the messiah is not supposed to die this doesn't make any sense it's really hard to understand this this part of the story yeah it's, it's there's definitely a twist in the story um and so they didn't expect jesus to die they expected him to be a conquering hero um a, mil a kind of military commander who would you know establish them Jews in their homeland and so forth. Um, I think going back to that first verse that you use there, so why do Greeks reject Christ? Because it's, there's not enough philosophy. You know, we get a lot of philosophy from the Greco-Roman tradition. You know, there's nothing wise or deep or seemingly deep to, to the Greek mind. Whereas for the Jewish mind, it's like, well, he wasn't righteous, right? They're all about righteousness. So 
he, you know, he died on a cross like a common criminal, so he couldn't possibly be who he said he was. That that was enough to kind of write him off. So you had these two different worldviews seeing the cross in a, in different ways, different filters, and I I think that's what makes it hard today for people, right? How can this guy dying two thousand years ago on a cross have any impact on me? And it, it's a lot of it comes down to what filter do you are, are you wearing? You know, are you are you seeing through? But it's also it's more than that. Um, because the Bible actually paints a picture that what happened on the cross had an immediate effect on every um, cultural and political system in the world. Uh, we've been taught today, we, most people today think that being a Christian is mostly a private thing, right? We, we've sort of, faith has sort of shrunk for the most part, and it's just your personal belief. You believe these impossible things, so when you die, you get saved. But that wasn't really what the Apostle Paul and the early disciples they saw it as an overwhelming, you know, victory over, um, well, it says it like this in Colossians 2.15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And he says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were, were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So that's being spoken into um, a culture that's permeated by religion that controls everything. And uh, they thought that when Jesus died on the cross, that was the end of it. And then, you know, the resurrection was a demonstration that, that it actually, you, you know, you can't, you can't cancel Christ. He, he's overcome all of that that was against him. And now he's disarmed any, you know, any claim to any other... Um, power structure and, and principalities and powers, what does that mean? The Bible sees them as the spiritual dimension that is behind life that rules or influences um, human, human behavior, human politics, human experience, and that Christ has defeated all of that and now has established something new. There's so much there that you said I, I, I want us to unpack. It's, it's like I don't even know where to start. I think one of the things that came to me while you were talking was there's another expression in the New Testament that says that that God chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So, like even if you, even as you talked about the Jews and the Greeks or the or the Jews and the Gentiles, there those represented systems. You, you kind of mentioned that maybe this is connected to the principalities and powers. You have like religious systems that are controlling the way people think, that are controlling what people can say. Then you have these other sis, political economic systems like Rome. And there's all this arrogance kind of tied up in it all. And then the cross comes along and it's like God chooses this foolish counterintuitive thing to like confound all that arrogance and, and all that wisdom. And it's, it's, it's so counterintuitive that it, it, it takes so much effort to kind of like think about how, how does that actually happen? Like to me, like that's, that's where I, I have a question because in our first episode we on the cross we talked more about like the forgiveness of sins side like atonement theories about that but you also listed a few atonement theories that have to do with like the ransom theory or christus victor which was like the main theory for the first thousand years of, of christian history and it it, it it's it, it kind of goes like you know like it kind of reads like a fantasy right like like chronicles of narnia like, 
you know, uh, is it Edmund, you know, kind of betrays his family and now he's enslaved to the white witch. And then, and then, you know, Jesus, uh, sorry, Aslan comes along and, and says, if, you know, if, if I offer myself to you, you would you release, you know, uh, Edmund? And so there's this exchange and there's this ransom and there's this price being paid, but, it, but like, it all reads sort of like this fantasy. And I struggle to understand mechanically, technically, like, Forget the deep magic and, and the rules set up before eternity, you know, in eternity past. Like, what does that mean? Principalities and powers were disarmed. What does that mean that these systems were triumphed over? Where is this ransom victory type of idea of the cross? Like, how does that work? You know? Well, I think we see Please tell me, the Mark. foreshadowing <laughs> of that. You know, if you read the Gospels, Jesus goes around healing people that were on the fringes, often of uh, edges of the religious system, a man with a shriveled hand, a woman who has been caught in adultery, uh, Roman uh, soldiers and their children who were oppressors, tax collectors, all of these people, the good Samaritan, you know, the, the, the Jews often saw the Samaritans, they were race, racist towards them. So all of these individuals on the margins and the periphery of that system, those are the ones that Jesus often goes around doing all of these miracles. And some of the, those are some of the most famous stories. So essentially, the people that did not fit in that religious system were not, you know, were sort of the untouchables mm -hmm. or the, the deplorables of their day mm -hmm. were essentially the ones that Jesus uh, made an, ob you know, an interactive with and lifted them up as a demonstration that his kingdom does not function mm -hmm. like the religious system kingdom, which has a hierarchy of value from top to bottom and who has access to the good stuff and so forth, right? And so that's what's being overthrown. Um, in Hebrews, it says that we can come boldly to the, to the throne of God with confidence. So in other words, we don't have to go through any of the existing channels to get the validation, to get the good stuff that God has. You can go directly to God because of what Jesus has accomplished. So all of those ruling systems, those economic systems, those religious systems that attempt to control and name and label and keep people in their position in life, Christ has opened a door directly to the Father and says, come with confidence, come boldly. And, he, and he's giving us this, through the stories, he's telling us, here's the Cole's notes of how, you, of how that access works. Here's how you get connected and get the good stuff. Here's what God wants to give you, and, and here's how you break through the barriers. You know, don't... If, if you see a mountain, the mountain can be thrown into into the ocean or into the sea. It's not just, it's figurative in a sense, but what he's saying is whatever obstacles are in your way, there's a way through faith and connection to Christ to remove those obstacles. There's, there's a way that God operates, and he's inviting you into that, and it's different than the way the systems of the world work. That's really interesting. Uh, you know, what? as you were talking, Mark, it's like we, I think we, we step into the story too late. Often, I think in Christian, uh, in, in the Christian narrative, we start with the cross, but like the cross is is a is a part of a story that has started starts way sooner than that. Like when you talk about Jesus's life, right? It all starts there. Like he actually shows up on the scene and says his first his message is the kingdom of God is here, right? 
So the, we have to see the cross in the context of that story of this, this proclamation of the kingdom of God is here. And that even when Jesus was born, like he's just a baby and he was already a threat to these systems, right? We had Herod find out about this child that was prophesied and he goes out and he has all these kids killed to try to stop this from happening. And all the way through Jesus's life, he is being, uh, his life is being threatened. It's like even like the one story where his own family tried to throw him off a cliff, his own hometown. The religious system is threatened by him. Kings are threatened by him. Political systems, economic systems get threatened. And that seems to be the threat through this entire story. And as he keeps moving along and he keeps basically uh, freeing oppressed people, the people that these systems are oppressing, he is showing them freedom and he's and he's delivering them from those oppressions every time he does that the 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 system gets you know more threatened and they start to plot his death and they start to you know in secret rooms making deals deals with his own you know follower judas starting to put things in place to finally end up at the cross. So the cross isn't just this isn't the start of the story. It's the climax of all four gospels, right? It is a part of this bigger picture of this threat to systems and those systems tend to be either religious systems or political economic systems. I, I agree exactly and it, it's almost absurd that today we think of Christianity and we think of faith in Christ as meaning the opposite. We think it means that you're controlled, that you have no freedom, that you've no will of your own, you don't have a life, and um, it, it's actually become almost the opposite to many people. But it's, you know, it, it says um, in, the, um, in one of the letters that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So all of these systems have a call on your life we're living right now i would say through a religious revival in many ways religion is a lot about how where we fit how we get our rightness how we get put right um, where you know how hierarchy functions how um how we deal with our guilt how we deal with what's what's valuable you know it's you know what we celebrate you know the the the, the metaphysical aspect is important but it's a horizontal day-to-day, -day, what does it do? How, how does it affect my sense of guilt, my sense of shame? What, what value do I put on myself and other people? You know, one of the foundational statements is we're created in the image of God, which has always been understood in, in our culture to mean that we're inherently valuable. So if I'm created in the image of God, that bestows upon me value. Religion is, I think, is 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 everywhere in our culture because we're being told 24 7 you know what's important what to eat what not to eat where to shop what not to shop when to kneel when not to kneel there's religious behavior happening uh in our in our world people are looking for validation they're looking for identity they're looking for uh to be made right in some way and so every purchase every activity every comment every tweet all of that stuff is being put through a framework that says these things are right and these things are wrong. There's someone judging, there's someone telling you where you fit. That's all religious behavior. And there's this uh, common thread, I, whether it's the religious system or the political economic system, I, it seems like the, the, the thread there is control, it's intimidation, it's fear, it's violent, right? Um, whether even in Jesus's life, what it was, it was, um, you know, the, 
they wanted him dead, but it was this, this weird unholy partnership between uh, the religious system and the political economic system that got him crucified. And Jesus poked at those systems a lot. He poked at the Pharisees. You know, he he called them. He said their their father was the devil because they're a bunch of liars. He he he, he poked at their uh, oppression. Uh, he even poked at the at the at the at the Romans. Right. He he said to his disciples one day, you know. Uh, you look look at the rulers of the Gentiles. He's basically looking at the Romans and saying, "They look how they lord over the people, and they 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 are controlling them through with violence." Um, and he said, "It shall not be so among you." He said that to his disciples. It's not supposed to be like that with you, but it, the greatest in my kingdom is a servant of all. And so again, this to me gets back to this this uh, counterintuitive nature of the kingdom and of the cross of it being not violent. It's like this opposite spirit. It's this upside downness to the systems we we know. And it's, it's incredible that this nonviolent type of uh, perspective is so threatening uh, to the systems, but it really, really is. Even back to, you know, Peter, when he didn't get it, and he's like, you're not supposed to die. And then, and then when the night that Jesus was betrayed and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane, <laughs> Peter brings a sword along. And when the Roman guards come to arrest Jesus, he pulls out the sword and swings it. I probably just chaotically and cuts the guy's ear off. And 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 Jesus, like crazy story, picks up his ear, puts it back on, right. and heals him. But then he says to Peter, you know, uh, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Like this is actually not the nature of my kingdom. Uh, and he kind of speaks to that myth of redemptive redemptive violence, right? Like. The myth that violence can solve problems, and and whether it's that religious system or it's that political economic system, it's it's violent, it's angry, it's judgmental, it's controlling, and it can't solve our problems. Um, Jesus brings this completely radical, upside down message, and the ultimate expression of that is when he gets crucified by that very system. I would add like a, a word in there that's not a common word, but justification. And that's a word that's, you know, is, is in the New Testament. And what that means is it's, it's a, a word that talks about how we are made right. And I, I think part of the religious nature of human beings is that we have a desire to be made right, mm -hmm. you know, through our activities, through, you know, we, we, we all are taught from early on, you need to do the right thing, you know, if if you if you take something that's not yours that's wrong you need to make it right so there's there's a, a need that we all have to be made right or to be justified and i think you ultimately are going to get that from god or you're going to get that from your cultural system that that you are essentially a part of and there really is i see there's sort of three main avenues to be made right and that is cultural validation and coolness is probably the most you know that's a word that describes that process if you're cool what you're basically saying is hey you're all right you're right right you get it from your family your family can validate you and say you're good you're right you can you know but you can also get it from god and i think the the bible tells us a pathway a way that it works here's how you can get that validation that rightness that justification through Christ, um, and, it, and it starts with a heart change, uh, and you know, the, taking the filters off how you see. I think there's no neutral ground. If you you're gonna get your rightness, justification from somewhere, you're gonna get it from your works, from how hard you work, how validated you are. 
you know, it's, it's interesting as I was preparing for this, I was thinking, um, about how many people like philanthropists <laughs> I like to announce they gave $5 billion to this pro project or that project. Right. And so we're supposed to see them as virtuous, mm. but Jesus tells us, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, unless you've received your reward in full. So he's saying it's a religious activity to give publicly in a way that validates you more than it says anything about your relationship with God. I, I'm not saying there can't be any giving that other people are aware of, mm -hmm. but there's so much that we do through you know YouTube and Facebook where we're announcing, look at this virtuous thing mm -hmm. that I've done. I've just rent, you know, I've just given a million dollars, or I've you know gone to the Humane Society and saved all these puppies. You know, it, it's. It can be a form of virtue signaling, which is basically saying, look, I'm virtuous. And what that's doing, though, is putting the, the need for justification on your behavior, your works, instead of flipping the switch and getting it from God. Mm. And I, I think it makes all the difference in the long run, because so much of our culture is about performance-based, or to use the word performative, right, which is another way of saying it's my works. But our works are not enough from God's perspective. Because what Christ did on the cross was open the door to that connection with God, to that rightness with God. And you, you can either choose door number one or door number two. There's a lot of options in culture to try to virtue signal and make yourself righteous and justify yourself. But there's only one, you know, through Christ, that door is available to anybody. It functions differently, though. That's so interesting. As you're talking, it's like, the cross then, even for Jesus, was him dying to every other form of righteousness. Exactly. Right? Like, he was not considered virtuous in that moment, right? The crowd was saying, crucify him. You know, uh, they, only sinners die on a cross. Only criminals die on a cross. He literally lost his reputation. He literally was deemed the scum of the earth, uh, so in the end, all he had was um, his identity in God. Like he wasn't being given that identity from the systems at all, right? And and so it's interesting because Jesus says to us, "Take up your cross and follow me," right? Follow my pattern. Die to every other label. Die to every other identity. Um, and and follow me and and follow the model of this uh the example of this this way of life this upside down kingdom and and stand on your own two feet before god like you don't need to lean on all these other you don't need the world to validate you you can be free from that you can be free from that and I, I think that yeah it's perform like performance-based mentality right mm -hmm. um and it's i think it's increasing in our culture through social media because everybody's on there trying to perform oh, for sure and, and virtue, to, signal, and virtue signal and, yeah. and say look i believe in these causes causes i dis disavow these causes it's crazy that just locks you into a way of thinking that essentially is you're trying to perform your righteousness yeah. and and you're not you're missing and i'm not saying some of those causes might be the right causes i'm not saying which causes are right or wrong i don't have a list but what i'm saying is that it, when we connect with christ and what god has done in christ that um it turns the table upside down right and 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 it 
it's defeating. So like, to get back to our original starting point, the principalities and powers, the things that say they have a right, a legal right to our life. And so that's why I still believe that there is a legal aspect to the cross, that human beings were are in bondage to systems. And you look through history, it's been one bloody system after another, right? People controlling other people, um, people, mm. um, you know, taking from other people, mm. abuse. That's all an aspect of control it's mm. it's people trying to be to put themselves in the place of god over other people right? and we're i think we're seeing that right now in our culture you know we have so, so much social control that's been increasing and in the end i do think it'll come down to a battle between you know um god's kingdom and the kingdoms of this world and it says in revelation the kingdoms of this world will eventually be subject to god's kingdom and that that everything will be through christ not through political systems left right not through you know whatever cause you think is the most important cause there is there's going to be a, a focus and that focus is going to be in christ so freedom from the systems the cross is, is about that. That's a big part of it. Not, you know, the forgiveness, forgiveness, sorry, the forgiveness of sins we talked about, but freedom from these systems. That sounds like a, that does sound like good news. Like listener out there, don't you want to be free from the systems? The systems that are like telling you you're not good enough. And, and I'm, not, I'm not even talking about religion. There's a lot of people I think listening that maybe have been beaten up by religion, but like there is a system out right now in, in the world and social media um, you know, that has a rigid detailed set of, set of rules like, like a religion would. You say the wrong thing and you're going to be canceled and, and, and there's no grace and people are angry and people are ready to like stone you. And like, don't you want to be free from that system? It's, it's, it's bad. The cross offers a way because Jesus said, follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Die to these systems. Maybe, like, don't you want to be in this place where you don't even care what these systems say about you? You're not afraid of them anymore. You are free. I mean, that's what I think the cross means. Because if you think of, like, Peter, Peter on the night he was, Jesus was betrayed, he was scared of that system. He was asked, you know, about, hey, you were one of his followers. And, they're like, and he, denied, he denied Jesus three different times. He's totally scared out of his mind, right? What happens after the cross, after the resurrection? Jesus, Jesus has this moment of reconciliation with Peter uh, where he confesses him three times. Uh, uh, Denies he, him three times. He, and then he, no, but then he, he Oh, he and then later him. he asked her, yeah, yeah, reconfess three times. Three so times. To make the point. Like, yeah, Jesus <laughs> said, do you love me? And he's like, you know, I love you. And then he asked, do you love me? You know, I love you. He asked the third time. And when he asked the third time, it said Peter got kind of sad because he was kind of offsetting the three denials. But you have this guy who on one night he's scared out of his mind that the system will kill him and not like 50 days later he's standing up in that very same city preaching christ and like he gets beaten for christ he gets thrown in prison for christ it's like what explains that change that freedom from the system from the fear from the intimidation it's something about the cross and the resurrection because he got the biggest story, you know, what happened, you know, death has been defeated. Everything that was against us was canceled at the cross. Every sin, every crime, every insufficiency, everything was can was canceled at the cross. And and God is a yes for everything. Essentially, God, you know, it says in Christ, all God's promises are amen or yes. 
you know. So what yeah. God has promised in Christ, He's willing to fulfill. If you understand the access that you have to God, and the things that are possible through Christ, the resources are there to overcome the insufficiencies and the brokenness and the struggle, you know, or to to get you through that process. It's amazing. Um, you know. It's interesting, I think, to read uh, the book of Acts. It's, it comes right after the Gospels. And the book of Acts is it's a series of stories. You just referenced one of them with Peter when Peter uh, stood up and preached. And I think, you know, a few thousand people were added to the disciples that day. Yeah. So it's the start of the church. And it's, it's a series of, of the stories of the Apostle Paul. And, and the Apostle Paul is one of those first uh, individuals, not just him, but one of those individuals. He was persecuting the church. He represented the religious system. He wanted to stamp out those early disciples. And he, you know, it says that he was seeing some of the early disciples murdered, and he was he was there, and he and and, and then God spoke to him and revealed to him that he was the Messiah, and he and he became the most famous um, apostle and disciple in history. Essentially, he wrote many of the letters, and he had that realization of the cross. He understood something momentous had happened at the cross. It wasn't just believe these few impossible things and you'll be okay when you die. He understood the entire landscape had changed. And that's what we see in the book of Acts is that political struggle, this is what it looks like when the good news, the gospel, begins to push and take territory from those principalities and powers that were ruling over people. Systems that affect the way they think, how they eat, when they can eat, where they can shop, where they can't shop, and so forth. And there's a story in there I was reading, and it really struck me as a relevance for today, and it's going to seem a little arcane at first, but um, there's a riot in a place called Ephesus. And um, the great disturbance, there was a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines for Artemis. Uh, they brought a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And, you know, the, the, the disciples were preaching the gospel in this area of Artemis. And the shrine of Artemis was, they were losing business because people were converting to Christianity. So this guy, not wanting to lose his business, he called, um, you know, he, he called them all together along with workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business, making shrines, religious icons. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. So his system, his religious system, they make sh these shrines and these, you know, these sort of idols. And... Um, the Apostle Paul and the other disciples are so successful, he fears for the loss of his economic income. And then this is what he does. Um, he basically, he, he talks to them and he, and he, he kind of gets them all riled up. Um, you know, he, he's pulling on their identity. Their identity is an Artemis. So he says, uh, they became furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. They seized some of these um, disciples and they, um, they cornered them. I'm just kind of paraphrasing here. And Paul wants to speak and, they, and some of the disciples stop him from speaking because they realize he's probably going to get pummeled, right? And for two hours, it said, they all shouted in unison, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And then somehow a city clerk realized the danger that was happening and, um, and managed to subvert the crowd or, or uh, get the crowd to calm down and said, you know, there are legal challenges, essentially. I'm paraphrasing this whole passage, but, you know, it's interesting in the story, and this is in, um, in Acts, 
is this guy really just wants to protect his economic interests, but he uses the identity and the religion of the day. He understands that these people have an identity tied to Artemis, and he's basically rallying them up, not because he cares that much about Artemis. He just wants to protect his economic interests. The people, the crowd, are easily swayed, and, and for two hours they're left there chanting, trying to shut down these apostles, right? And I think that's a picture of what that battle looks like on a horizontal everyday world you know we see that all the time i've i've watched on youtube you know um events where people try to speak you know about sexuality or about you know um a whole range of topics you know free speech things like that and the opposition chants and they try everything they can. They, they do not want a conversation. They merely want to shut down the conversation. They're opposed to it. They're religious. They're, mm. they're, they're um, filled with a religious spirit. They believe that the world is black and white and that they, can, they don't want any opposition to their ideas. And I think many of our times corporations are getting on board with all of, many of these ideas. Mm -hmm. and their interests are economic. I think a lot of times mm -hmm. politicians, same thing. They just want to know which way the wind is blowing. And that's what religion does, right? It, it affects everything that it touches. It controls people. It limits people's choices. It leads us to black and white thinking. And, and the good news is that all of those systems are subject to Christ and will be overcome by Christ in the end. You know, this is really good news. I, I've struggled to understand, you know, the gospel, the way we've we've preached it in the past in my own history. It's always this vertical thing, right? So it's like the evangelical gospel message is Jesus died to take our place so God could punish him instead of us. And if you believe this and you believe these things, you'll go to heaven, right? But it I've been just I've been just longing for an understanding of the gospel and an understanding of the cross that has actual horizontal implications for us. That's actually relevant to people and relevant to people in the, in our society, in our culture. And that's, you know, I always remembered reading this in, in Acts at the time. When you read what the early apostles preached in Acts, they didn't preach that evangelical gospel. And I remember recognizing that and kind of, Oh, you know, whatever. I had reasons why maybe they didn't do it and I moved on. But their basic message was you killed Jesus, prince, you know, like rulers. Like he was, they were literally talking about people in power. You killed him, but God raised him. That was their message. And their point was when God raised him, it proved that he's the one and that if you follow his way, you can be freed from this system. I mean, and I think that's the message we have here for people in our culture, like this this negative system where we're in these culture wars, the, the right is fighting the left, everything's political, everyone's angry, people are getting canceled, and people, and then like corporations are laughing all the way to the bank, kind of like your story with Artemis. And, and, and it's like they're using the chaos of all of this to make money off of us. It's, it's crazy. These systems are in control. And what Jesus offers, what the gospel is, is you can unplug from these systems. You don't have to be afraid of them. You don't have to be have your identity in them. You can be free from them in Christ. I mean, there, there might be real consequences if you decide to not to think differently and to believe differently. It's, we're not saying that you can just magically not have faced consequences. Yeah. But I think what we're trying to do is identify that 
becoming a Christian or following Christ, it's not just believing these things so you get a parachute out of here. It's what, what it's saying is ultimately God is going to have His will in how the world is run, and and it's going to it's going to be different than people think. Uh, there'll be some things that will survive and some things that won't survive. It you know, Apostle Paul says no one can build any other foundation but the one that's been laid by Christ. And ultimately, there'll be things that will disappear from our world, as there already has been, you know, because they don't line up. I, I was listening today, I, I got caught listening to this YouTube video where this guy, a lawyer, was advocating that water should be controlled. He says, we don't let anyone just grab a diamond, so why would we let people do that with water? And my thought was, that's a satanic idea. That's an evil idea. Okay. People need water to live. Holy but this crap. guy was trying to advocate that we should control water. You know, that's evil. That's evil. You know, and and but that scarcity mindset, that fear that there won't be enough, right? That's what drives a lot of people. That's what drives a lot of businesses and 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 um, at times governments. You know, that Malthusian mindset that there's not enough for everybody, so that we, the rich try to control and hoard, mm. and and that will never lead to the kingdom of God. Because I think that the truth is. God has given enough for everybody and for the world. It's what we do that gets in the way of that. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, but that's, again, that's a fear. Fear of not enough, fear, fear of not, um, you know, having the clothes on your back and it says don't don't worry about the clothes on your back focus on the kingdom of god first there's another way of saying get free from the system that's all about things yeah. and and identity and stuff and focus on christ because the kingdom comes first it's more important and if you put that first the other stuff comes along as well yeah unplug from the system so my brain always goes to the same spot when we talk about these things mark it's the matrix <laughs> has a lot of the answers. It's true. <laughs> the, the, the answer is the matrix. I was thinking about this. So the whole question throughout the whole movie, the matrix is, is Neo the one, right? And that's the question that everyone's asking. And little by little, you know, you're, you're going through this story. And when he's introduced to the matrix for the first time, they tell him that the matrix is all about control. It's a system that's that pulls the wool over human beings' eyes to keep them from the truth, to keep them from knowing that they're actually slaves. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, I don't know who, who on the planet hasn't seen it, but basically the Matrix is that thing we've been talking about. It's that control. It's the control that keeps people blind from the truth. And, and there, there, there are these agents in the Matrix, right? And when Neo is being introduced to it, they explain to him that these agents are like the ones who have all the keys to all the doors, like they control everything. And they say to them, they say to Neo, when you see a, an agent, you do what we do. You run. Because no one can be, defeat these guys. Like, they've seen these guys punch holes through walls, move faster than anybody you could ever, you could ever, they've ever seen before. So you do what we do. When you see them, you run. And then when we get to the climax of the movie, Neo has this confrontation with, with Agent Smith, and they're like saying, run, run. Or they're watching this happen. And he, he turns around, and he stands up, and he doesn't run, and he faces him, and he fights him. And at one point, he gets killed. He dies. And they think, and all the followers are like depressed, and he comes back to life. And when he comes back to life, everyone, Morpheus, one of the characters says, He's the one, right? And at the very final scene of the movie, he's on the phone and he's speaking to the agents and he's speaking to the matrix and he's like, I'm going to hang up this phone now. I'm going to show these people 
what you don't want them to know. I'm going to show them a world without rules, a world without you. And, and so his whole mission is going to be to unplug people from the matrix, to open their eyes and to free them from the control of the agents, a world without those rules, a world without that control, a world without you. And it was only when Neo died and rose again that they realized he's the one. And it's amazing. Here's the gospel right in this modern day movie. That is the message of the gospel, that when you realize, when you can see that Jesus died and rose again, it's proof that he's the one and his mission is to open our eyes and free us from this world of control. Yeah, I, I think the story is, is everywhere and it shows up in movies, even probably for people who write write those movies don't intend it. It's just because it's a powerful story that shaped our culture. Um, but I, I, I want to do a little nuanced thing. You, you talk about freedom from control. I think there's actually a duality, which I, I, I kind of had a chart I was going to bring today, but I can't really show a chart on a podcast. But on the chart, I've got a triangle. And on the one side, I've got sort of uh, the church culture. And on the other side, I've got our current culture. And on the top, I've got the kingdom of God. And so we've lived, you know, we're not that far away from the 60s um, cultural revolution, which mm -hmm. rejected sort of traditional culture. And traditional culture was seen as legalistic, controlling. If you wanted to get divorced, you couldn't get divorced. You, you know, it was mm -hmm. like, uh, it was rules-based. It was it was legalistic. You, you know, you, you had to, uh, there was a list of things that were acceptable and things that were not acceptable. And so, in, in the West, we reacted away from that through the through the uh, cultural turn of the 60s. Mm -hmm. And we've gone in the opposite direction. So the Bible on the opposite side of that of that continuum, I think, is what I would call license. And so license, so some of the early, um, uh, when Paul was preaching the gospel and saying, God has forgiven your sins, and he's not holding them against you. Mm -hmm. So some people said, okay, well, if that's true, then I could just sin and do whatever I want, mm -hmm. right? And, and Paul says, well, Everything is permissible, permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So in other words, although God is not counting your sins against you, it doesn't make sense to put yourself in bondage again, right? So there are certain choices I can make, you know, in that permissive view of behavior that just lead to more bondage. And sometimes we don't realize that we're putting ourselves, you know, but I think that our culture is inverting, and now we're seeing more rules about what you cannot do and what you can do. There's a new list, That's right? That's right. They have simply inverted the mistakes of the church culture. They are now trying to control people with their, you know, the left and, and you know, all the cancel culture are trying to control people mm -hmm. with the new list of what they view as the right list that makes you righteous and acceptable. Yeah. It's leading to more control. It's leading to brokenness in relationships, a loss of of the, the life that people want. We, we have to be in the middle, and I think that's what the kingdom of God describes the middle way. It's like self-control through God's spirit, that God has created people to function a certain way. And he doesn't want people in religious bondage, but he also doesn't want people in cultural bondage to you know whatever the latest fad is. It's that we get our identity through through Christ and through the kingdom of God and through the presence of his spirit. And we said where his spirit is, there is freedom. So if you lack freedom in your life or some area of your life, it's because there's a lack of the Spirit of God in that area of your life, and you have to you need to submit it. So that's where the cross becomes a reality for us too. There are some things in our life that have to get nailed to the cross. There are some mm -hmm. things that just are broken identities or things in our past that lead to guilt, that lead to shame, that disconnect us from God. 
I'm not saying to anyone what my list is. I'm just saying I've had my things that I know I've had to submit to God and I've had to painfully let God reach into my life and heal me and my thinking, you know, times overly negative or depressed or whatever. You have to experience that spirit of God bringing the freedom into your life. And it's, it's not always a one-time thing. It's an ongoing process as we seek and as we um, experience the freedom from those systems, those cultural systems, mm. our, our systems, our family systems, things that have happened in our past, things that trigger us in the present and so forth. It's an ongoing process. But when we focus on Christ, that door can begin to open. Yeah, I think I have just a couple last thoughts on the cross. I think you just brought one up. You know, all this is really seems grand and, and like, you know, epic in the story we're telling. But there's where it is a practical application of the cross or a symbol of it is in our daily lives. Like this idea of taking up our own cross and dying, letting go, uh, nailing things that <clears throat> that the fears, the things of this, these systems we've been talking about, like letting them go and, and having those identities be nailed and, and, and put to death. But then the trust that that will come back to life again, you know, that, that, that this, there'll be another day. This, this won't be over. I think that's, that's a promise of the cross and resurrection. I had another thought too. One of the times Jesus talked about his own death and resurrection before he had died, he, um, he said something like, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Another translation says it abides alone. It lives alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit and it produces many seeds, not just one seed. And it seems to me, and then he goes, if, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. He said this before his death. It seemed to me that Jesus' death was absolutely inevitable. That if there was no cross, there'd be no kingdom. If there was no cross, there'd be no spread of Jesus' message. I think Jesus just would have died um, and we would have never heard about him. He would have been a blip in history. There's something about him being this seed that had to die so that many, many more seeds could come. And uh, it's just this pattern and it's this reality. Uh, there is no um, Christianity without the death and resurrection of Jesus. I, I agree, and I think that um, when you understand that it's an intimate thing as well that connects us, you know, we're told to renew our mind, you know, and that, think differently. So we all have thinking patterns and beliefs that um, limit us and hold us back. For me, for a long time, I just felt guilty. I, I used to feel guilty about my past, and, and I used to feel bad about myself. And it took me a long time through prayer. And I think through prayer and through reading scripture, I realized, you know, that that Christ is the one who has taken the guilt. Christ, you know, if I feel guilty, it's because I lack, I'm not understanding my connection with Christ. And so I had to just over time train my thinking and realize it's almost like a breath, you know, like you could just breathe and relax when you get it. It's like, oh, I'm feeling guilty because I'm feeling I have to perform and I have to be the one doing the right thing all the time. It's been done for me. It is finished, right? So once I get that and I flip, flip the switch, then I have access to Christ again. And I, I'm not perfect. I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have all the answers or do all the right things. But there is still, there are times when I feel like God identifies or puts his finger on parts of my life 
that um, that need to go. There, there's habits or there's ways of thinking that need to go. And that's that we're told to put off the old way of living and put on a new way, which is in Christ. So it's just a, a way of saying, you know, I've gone to counseling several times in my life. And every time I've gone for counseling is because I'm struggling with, with depression or some way of thinking in my life. And so I'm, I'm sort of letting out that old way of thinking and trying to get a new way of thinking, a new perspective. And, and that's always going to be ultimately in Christ. And once I get that, then I can grow and I can, I can move forward in a new way. And that's, I think that's the promise that we have for, for everybody. So there you go, folks. This is the message that Christ was killed by the systems of this world, but God raised him back to life to show that he's the one. He's the one that can free us from those very same systems. So take up your cross, follow him, let it all go, let it all die, be found in him, and be free. If this helped you in any way or you have questions that we didn't address, please uh, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs>